talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing. Our show, we're here now in 2021. We take a look back at the seminal work, The West Wing, from a bit more of a modern leftist socialist perspective. I am Dave. And I am Stu. And we are here to discuss another two episodes in one episode, because we are just breezing through this bad season. (sighs) Uh, The first one is entitled Genghis Khan, I believe. It's the warfare of Genghis Khan. Thank you. The Warfare of Genghis Khan. And then the second one had a very... It's a Vietnamese, odd... it's a Vietnamese name. It's An Ki. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, did you look up what that meant by chance? No, I did not. I imagine it's a location, though. Oh, right. Yeah, given the topic of the episode. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, but we will get to that later. We will first start off with the fact that our first episode opens at 3 a.m. as Bartlett is being called into the Situation Room for a situation. Uh, I I wanted to make a note here that we really do need a night owl president who is, like, up at these hours normally. And I don't see any reason why the president's daytime meetings can't start at, like, 2 p.m. or whatever. I say let the president sleep past noon. Yeah, does anything actually important happen between, like, when everybody has their first meeting scheduled at, like, 10 a.m. and maybe, like, even, like, lunchtime? Couldn't he just Mm -hmm. go from, I don't know, 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. on a normal day and then do a night shift? Particularly given that, you know, global action that he is concerned about is almost guaranteed to happen at middle of the night hours in America. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, what, one would think that they they shouldn't schedule the president's sleeping time <laughs> during this time. It should be during a time when, you know, daytime hours in America is probably a safer time overall. But that, that's really neither here nor there. Just a passing thought I had. The reason he is in the Situation Room is a nuclear test explosion has occurred somewhere off the coast of India, roughly, uh, and they don't know who done it. In fact, they are pretty sure it is not one of the current nuclear powers that they are aware of, and they are worried that a new nuclear power has entered the global stage. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and I mean, this is sort of uh, in the wake of 9-11, even though it didn't technically happen in this show, this is sort of like where a lot of NATSEC concern ended up going was, Mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, older listeners will recall the things about like heavy heavy water, heavy water and (laughs) and dirty bombs and like suitcase nukes and Mm -hmm. fucking all this, all this scaremongering. Yeah. Yeah, so it sort of follows from the era this TV show was being written in but it also gives the consultants which i will note jpod has another credit for being like an insulting producer on this episode (laughs) makes sense i wonder what topic he helped consult Mm, on i I wonder Mm. given that the the show's main player's first reaction is well it must be north korea and then a a beat after that well it must be pakistan And then eventually settling on, so basically they they go through like the kind of the 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 usual preliminaries, yeah, of who exactly. could do this and why, and so they kind of do some triangulation with the location and why the thing, and that's fine and good. Like I, I you know, they're just talking about what could be happening, but then I mean, even before they start to speculate on what particular international foe they get in, there is this amazing. Um, sentiment expressed in the Oval (laughs) Office by the fucking President of the United States that I'm going to insert right here. 
All right, let's put our cards on the table. What helped keep the Cold War cold was a sense of moral restraint that these weapons were too terrible to use. Ah, yes, the Cold War didn't go hot because of moral restraint. Yeah. And, holy uh, fucking shit. Yeah, holy, holy shit is right. And then Leo's follow-up immediately after that, that un unlike our morally restrained Americans and Russians, those dastardly Islamic people are a <laughs> yeah. special brand of evil who will totally nuke the world. Uh, it's just so blatant. Like, I... Just raw, raw, obvious wearing of the propaganda on your sleeve here. Just making, I, it's, I don't think I've ever seen it be just so explicit of like, oh, well, we're going to turn this in service of this uh, anti-Islamic sentiment, like immediately. Just And, and Toby's not even there. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he then, Toby is actually there because he gets to quote from the fucking Quran. Oh, right. He well, that's later on. <laughs> no, that, he says it in that, this meeting. He, said, he uh, says, no, and you will, the, the, like, if you love Islam, you will fight against, you know, the heathens. I thought the meeting you're talking about happens in the sit room. Mm -hmm. And then l later on. No, dog, this, they, the, the clips from the Oval Office, they're all standing there uh, with shit, people. And it's shit. just, it's fucking insane. There's. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, even it, worse. It's so fucked up. And, I mean, yeah, so basically, like, welcome to the premise of the whole fucking episode. Yeah, and speaking of propaganda, later on, Bartlett and Charlie have a talk about, like, would you have dropped the nuke on Japan like Truman, sir? And Bartlett <laughs> buys, buys fully into, like, the, oh, yeah, those Japanese, they were going to fight to the last. It saved lives. To be fair, he at least goes, like, well, the other argument was that we just wanted to show off to Russia that we had it. Um, which is probably closer and, to the truth. And then smash cut when Toby, or like Toby actually asks him the question. You just get a look from Bartlett and it's right. off to the next and, scene. Yeah, <laughs> and they completely fucking cop out on the answer. <laughs> wow, so brave, so bold. Well, and speaking of brave and bold, so eventually they figure uh, out... By the way, w w you and I know the answer is, of course he would have done it. Oh, <laughs> like, oh yeah. in a, a fucking heartbeat. Like, oh, you can he, you can just he, roll he, McNamara's charts from fucking Vietnam right into the Oval yeah. Office and it would fit right in. Yeah, he probably would have dropped three. <laughs> yeah, he'd just be like, oh, well, the spreadsheet optimizes out at three nukes over these cities. So that's the solution, right, guys? Yeah. So, but yeah, the show completely cops out on answering the question, which I find very funny. So uh, it also invokes, well, then when they figure out, you know, they through their triangulation and their geopoliticking and shit, they, mm -hmm. they get an inkling that it's been launched by Iran as a, mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. test of their new nuclear technology and summon mm -hmm. the Iranian ambassador to <laughs> the Swiss embassy, because obviously we have no direct diplomatic ties that we can use or something here right and he shows up and just fucking dunks all over yeah. warhawk leo warhawk yeah. uh, nancy mcnally and whoever this slattery guy is who fucking cares like yeah. it's insane yeah 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 he fucking rules he basically just like comes in big dick swing and is like goddamn right we're pursuing nuclear weapons look how well it worked out for you guys yeah. and i think i think as the only nation to actually deploy them on real people you shouldn't fucking talk yeah it's nice to be lectured by the actual like blood gargling psychopaths on the national <laughs> right. on the international stage yeah, that's his mood the whole time, and they just, like, can't make him do anything about it. And he's just like, yeah, this rules, actually, because now I get to come in here like a big dick Chad and uh, and dictate terms. 
when they they wrap up the conversation with a dig of being like, well, you guys get upset when it's a Jewish bomb, and the motherfucker just blows it out. He says, they're all Jewish bombs, if you think about yeah. it. Oppenheimer, Teller, Leo Gillard. Like, it's, yeah. it's perfect. Um, I'm like, you know what? That's a pretty. That's actually a pretty good dig. I can't even get mad at that as a Jew. And, he, and again, <laughs> note that we are not conflating the state of Israel with Judaism. That is yes. fundamentally anti-Semitic, and it's only course, funny because this guy makes that remark in this thing. And of course that line is written into his mouth by John yes. fucking Pedoritz, like... Right, to the, make him... Yeah, the the god the goddamn hawk to end all hawks of commentary magazine here, like saying that of course it we're in a life or death dominionist struggle over the Middle East with these people. <laughs> yeah, the same one who's writing Leo say like, oh, these Wahhabists they'll nuke the whole world, <laughs> not like our morally restrained America. I just holy fucking uh, shit. Uh, sp- speaking of Leo being terrible, uh, la- later on in the episode, I forget what even prompts this conversation but he's he's having a walk and talk with josh and he just starts going on a boomer rant about how technology stopped and like the computer isn't anything and, and like and, and like technology failed us nasa failed us where's my jetpack and like the fucking fucking boomer rant it's so funny it made in like 2003 or whatever like yeah man technology just fucking stopped it's not going anywhere dude <laughs> absolutely nothing is happening in 2003 nothing at all you know yeah you know by you know 18 years from now technology won't be run by four mega companies and and be everywhere that, that essentially dictate the entire like <laughs> the socioeconomic system yeah. of the world yeah yeah <laughs> Fuck you. you know yeah <laughs> Uh, it's, where's, where's my jetpack? Fuck off, Leo, you're an alcoholic. You would have gotten drunk and slammed into a building and killed, like, 20 people. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's just kind of in the middle of nowhere in this thing. Why make, why spend so much screen time on the, I can't even figure out what the, like, what, what purpose it serves within the scope of the episode. I, it's just. I think it, it, it came from the NASA stuff. Oh, yes, which, okay, so we, we, which we haven't even. We haven't even gotten into yet. So yeah, the other subplot that mostly does it for the nuke thing. Oh, other we do than, get a Bingo Bob. The, yeah, they bring it. We mentioned that Bingo Bob's basically fucking conjures up a, a a fucking solution, quote unquote, out of nowhere at the end to ev- effectively avoid another World War Three, which I think is our second time in West Wing history mm-hmm. we've avoided World War Three. That shit happens an awful lot. Yeah, uh, I think someone in our thread posted that it happens three times in the show. This might be number two out of three. We we remember the first one was India Pakistan, uh, which was solved by some infrastructure deal made by Lord John Marbury. <laughs> well, and it turns out this time Bingo Bob is like they they bring him the news because Leo's like ah oh, fuck I gotta go brief the goddamn vice president that <laughs> yeah he's so he's so <laughs> mad about having to do it it owns <laughs> well and so the, he rolls in and Bingo Bob Bob Russell I mean I call him Bingo Bob because he's easy like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. motherfucker just he just takes each mm-hmm. snippet of information that leo gives him and goes right oh so fucking pakistan's doing this right oh it's this <laughs> right. goddamn he pakistanis just, oh the makes fucking giant, makes giant leaping assumptions with every little snippet leo says rather than let leo like blurt out the whole four sentence story of what's going on and to their credit the writers have <laughs> leo go 
let me start over here. <laughs> like, shut the fuck up and listen to me like, until I'm done talking. Like, listen to the whole paragraph there, Bob, and then you can jump to a conclusion. Which, uh, I, the, the only thing that I, the only reason that I brought this particular thing up as sort of like a weird bit in the show is that this is incongruous with what we understand mm-hmm. of Bob Russell's rest right. of his character, especially because he, he, he's supposed to be secretly sharp. Yes. Like, that's his whole thing, is like, he, oh, I play like a dumb, dumb, generic, boring congressman, but there's a working political mind under here. That's supposed to be his character. But yeah, like you said, he's fucking all over the map now, because now he's just a dumb, dumb again. Like he, like, he plays. And so, and the show isn't even using it well, because at the end, with the whole thing, he pulls this fucking MacGuffin out of his, the, the crags of his fucking smooth-ass <laughs> brain, and is like... Right. Oh, I remember I had a party on a yacht in the Red Sea sometime, and some guy like puked over the side, and the Israeli ambassador was there, and he said to me, he says, oh man, sure hope he doesn't puke on our nuclear submarines, and so that's how I know that nuclear bomb blast was the Israelis. What? <laughs> just, they, they just wrote this, like, it's a flight of fantasy that is completely untethered from anything else in the show. And they're just, they just say, oh, yeah, um, we need to figure out how to, uh, bingo, Bob, do it. Yeah, 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 again. And which, if if he is, like, the shrewd political mind he's supposed to be, he should have figured that out right away when Leo told him the story. And like, and even, not pull it out of his ass at the last minute. Yeah, and even if he didn't figure it out immediately, you could have done better than... Literally, they march him into the Situation Room and go, Right, Bob, say what you wait, told Bob me upstairs. Kn- yeah, yeah, wait, Bob knows something, everyone. Listen to Bob. Listen to Bob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, like, oh, false alarm, it was just Israel, except they didn't tell us for some stupid fucking reason. And then he says that the reason he knows about these things is that the company that he is basically a corporate patsy for Western the Colorado mining, mining yeah, is the, the, the leading producer of uranium in the United States. What the fuck does that have to do with Israel developing nuclear submarines? What the fuck are you even talking about? Oh, so you supervise some mining operations in I, Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Like what? So anyway, that's the, uh, that's the nuke subplot in this episode. It does Pretty provide much. for a really fun and again sort of like completely random but we're both space dorks segment into a nasa segment Mm-hmm. so yeah uh, all of a sudden and which has never been talked about other than like the one time they did the whole galileo 5 spiel uh space funding is suddenly an issue that comes up even though josh is like do like uh, early on the episode is like we don't have a space policy of any kind yeah. <laughs> Uh, but NASA comes to him for like a funding request or something like that. And, uh, good thing that they brought a hottie with them or they would have been turned away. But since Josh operates on like the horn levels of, a of a Rob Emanuel or a, uh, uh, what was, uh, uh, Anthony Weiner. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely Anthony uh, Weiner energy. Yeah. Yeah, big Anthony Weiner energy. So since NASA brought a hottie with them, uh, and the hottie basically asked Josh out on a date to go stargazing, uh, during which time she basically, like, hits him with, like, elementary school facts about the planets <laughs> uh, as, sh- as she shows them to him. Suddenly, Josh is, like, super hort for space and is like, okay, I'm all about it. Let's fund space. Space is rules. It's just the most childish and 
completely random. Like, you are the fucking deputy chief of staff in the White House, my dude. Why are you just, just like, going and doing weird performative demonstrative date-like activities with a person inside the administration to be, to be like, educated about these? Mm-hmm. Aren't you supposed to be smart? Like, Dave, you, you nailed, you hit it on the head. These are, like... Hey, remember in fifth grade, I had to do a report on, like, one of the moons yeah, of Jupiter? Ju- about Jupiter's moons, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking, yeah. Like, like, yeah, these are fifth grade level facts about space. It just makes Josh go, like, whoa, man. Space. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's the Tim and Eric. Like, my brain is exploding. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then he like this, and then he goes on a rant later to Donna when Donna's like, "I don't get it," because Donna didn't go on the on the the astro astro, uh, astronomy date with Josh, and uh, so he goes on this whole rant about how the Voyager probe has left the solar system and it carries the gold record that has you know all of human you know history and whatever and a bunch of music on it and how this blind poor musician from the 20s his song just left the solar system except rather than do it in sort of like the romantic space way that Bartlett did that one time in the Sorkin episode uh he really goes like hard on the poverty angle of the musician and seems to get like really aroused by describing how poor this musician was she's like oh and there's this guy and he oh he was he was just blind from birth and his mom abandoned him and oh now his record's out there it's like uh what what the fuck is going on and also i i mean i hate to break it to you again fifth grade facts man here but as soon as that guy's song was broadcast by a radio station it left (laughs) the solar system technically yeah it's yeah. just the mo- the very boomer thing of being like, oh well, these these gidgets and whizmos like I I can't understand it unless it's an object. I need to hold it. Yeah. The aliens are gonna need to get the gold record and put yeah. it on their alien record player, or else how could they possibly hear the music? <laughs> yeah, except up here we call it a wormblang, and it's made out of cramponite. Like right, but it's still it's still a record player. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway um they go out there and her big pitch the space thing yeah uh basically just makes me think a government strategy now for every department will be find a girl that josh lyman likes and send her to to give your funding pitch to the deputy chief of staff yeah well and this is also like um this was kind of around the time if i recall correctly like so cassini went out in like 1997 and all these things okay. were actually like in real time you know voyager was flying out of the, so we're kind of like floundering I think this was around. around the the fir- like a little before the first mars rover maybe yeah and so the the mars fever is i think appropriately pitched here because they're like we want a manned mission to mars mm-hmm. and huh surprise it's fucking 15 goddamn years later and there hasn't been a manned mission to mars and now it defaults to fucking racist south african emerald heirs to try and Mm -hmm. gin up enough fake goodwill for it to make it happen i don't know it's yeah nasa getting fucked over really still makes is one of those few things that can make me mad so yeah like 
I, creating the private space industry that's currently filling our low orbit with space trash and creating whatever that fancy term is for the problem where oh, the our Kessler orbit syndrome. Gets yeah. Thank you. That's it. I couldn't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah. So currently, that's what we have instead of a government-funded organization that helps develop not only space exploration but some of the greatest technological advances we've made in like the modern era. And. Like the the leftist critique of that is is usually like the fact that of course NASA was birthed from the need to launch nuclear bombs like intercontinentally yes. of, and of course you know the space yes. race was all a proxy for the Cold War with Russia but it's still just uh, but it it achieved incredible things for the human species and they they admit themselves here where it's like well if the Cold War's over. Now, and yet somehow we have this legacy institution that's left over and is no longer needed to develop and perfect weapons systems. Shouldn't we be, shouldn't we be doing stuff? Right. With it? Yeah, we, yeah, we have all these shuttles. We have all this, you know, we have this NASA that can do these space things. Like, yeah, shouldn't we be exploring some space, doing some stuff, go to Mars? It's the next thing, you know, that kind of thing. But like... As she says, like, it's entirely doable. All we lack is the ambition and the political will, which sums up basically every major political issue uh, <laughs> in the modern era. If only we had the will and if, the money, if we could do whatever we only, wanted. If only we were the richest country on Earth. If only. <laughs> and I'd also, I'd also like to note that Mars doesn't have a magnetic field. We can't send people to live on Mars permanently. Like no, just fucking, no, not live, but like man's mission. Fucking, you know, l- let's let's dial it all back. It is yeah. an incredible yeah, yeah. problem. Oh, yeah, we're not colonizing Mars. We need to fix Earth. That's like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. But I still want a manned mission to Mars just because it's fucking rad. It's I like putting a man on the moon was the last greatest thing this country did because it happened after Medicare got passed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> True. Like and literally, also, literally the last positive government thing I can think of is putting a man on the moon. I'll, I'll probably push back against myself as well here because uh, it's very easy to fall. And this show does a fucking great job of it and will in the next episode as well of falling into believing the trope of like, we can't pay for this thing because we have to pay for this other thing. Uh, uh, other it, thing it, instead of doing garbage. both. Yeah, just, yeah. just fucking do whatever instead the fuck like, you want. Just just fund everything and mon, mon, MMT it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and again, that's sort of the, the lacking of ambition and political will, because, you know, what's right. the representation of political will is money at right. this point. And that's the, yeah, that's the foundation of the show, is just limiting the possibility scope of, of the political will of America. Uh, but yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up for the first episode. Josh is horny for space now because a hot chick showed up. Yeah. <laughs> Like, they don't even kiss. Like, I mean, I hate to be that guy, but, like, Josh, Josh you didn't even get anything, man. Like, like set your standards higher, dude. <laughs> like, you know, come on, man. Like, she, all she had to do was, like, take you out in a field and, point, and, like, let you... To be fair, I do like her telescope, which is remote control oh, and is awesome. So, yeah, those I would, things I would are really lo- cool. I would, I would love to have that. I'm sure it's, like, thousands of dollars, but it is super cool. I don't know. I'll look it up when we're done maybe here. Na- basically maybe like, nowadays. Definitely when she bought it, it was thousands of dollars. Oh, for sure, because it's like, you, <laughs> you know, she remote controls it, and the thing goes... Right. And zooms in, yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. It's so neat. Yeah. 
I want one. Yeah. But anyway. Fucking rad. <laughs> Fucking rad. I totally want one. Um, but yeah, uh, that yeah, that pretty much wraps up the first episode. We'll take a quick break here, and then we will hop into the second episode. Right. <laughs> Alright, so the second episode is, in my opinion, marred by a heavy, heavy reliance, not even reliance upon, but a heavy inclusion of just an incredibly stylized flashback to mm-hmm. what happened to Leo in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it opens the episode straight into flashback. We open right on uh, like his initial um, he's flying a plane with his with his buddy and they take fire and they, and they start going down. And if it had ended right there, I think that would have been perfect. Yes, agree. Uh, and well d- and well done and stylized, but then they keep coming back to it and it ends up dominating like 15 to 20 minutes of the episode it feels well, like. So I'd also like to say that it and I can't I haven't decided if it's a good thing or a bad thing because they do this flashback thing which they make apparent by kind of focusing on kind of like the legacy electronics in the planes and like a a mission patch that betrays like the timeline of it. And then there's some radio chatter that's hard to distinguish, but whatever we're, we're meant to understand eventually it's in the past, but then the immediate current day narrative that they launch into once they get past like the Leo thing is that there's been another plane that's been shot. Yeah, a a modern plane has been shot down into (laughs) North Korea, right. And I feel like it's intentionally done to try to make you think you're watching the situation, and then you realize later on, like, oh no, this is the past. Yes, and if Uh, if it had been done a little more subtly throughout the rest of the episode, it would actually be really good. I like the device in itself. I think. Right, but it's handled with all the subtlety of a fucking sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like every time Leo just like gets the thousand yard stare, and we go doo 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 Well, so basically, what what the the broad strokes of what happens is um, Leo's buddy, who you know schlepped him ten miles back to base after or to like a helicopter pickup when his plane got shot down, is getting mm-hmm. like you know, a big fucking award as humanitarian of the year for his you know, his his donations as head of a defense company. <laughs> yeah, he's he's CEO of, like, the fictional version of Lockheed Martin, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> and so Leo gives a big old speech at, you know, this this gala they're giving. And I'd Saying like, what, what, what a mensch the guy is. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, you know, he's the best guy. He doesn't really mention that it's him in the flashback. So we, we understand that eventually um, that's going on. But I just want to note right out the gate that when... John Spencer smiles. <laughs> he looks. He looks like whatever the character's name in is in Men in Black that Vincent D'Onofrio plays when he pulls his face back. 
Edgar. Edgar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And also yeah. like the doctors in fucking Jacob's Ladder that are torturing uh, Tim Robbins. <laughs> yeah, just like, yikes. It's something about the lighting or the podium or the height of the shot. And how, like, but his he, eyes kind of yeah, squint he, down and, like, his smile just, is super big. He, he just looks like the fucking Crypt Keeper or something <laughs> in that shot. Just like, Jesus. So... Anyway, what eventually ends up happening is we get a bunch of back and forths between other, uh, you know, Washington players. Mm -hmm. There's a senator or two who are beefing about calling a hearing that is investigating a Military appropriations stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it turns out, you know, Kel Surprise, that this head of the, you know, head of equivalent of Lockheed Martin guy, Mm -hmm. the, the long and short of it is... He paid off the procurement officer by offering him a highly paid position with the company in order to Ta-da. land the contract. Ta-da! Cut and dried corruption and trading of political yeah. favors. The the classic kind that happens all the time. The good old revolving door straight from the government to the private sector uh, that was the company that was trying to get around the regulations you were just enforcing. And so Ken, Leo's buddy... Ken, they have the, the denouement as they confront each other out at um, the, it's not the Lincoln Memorial, it's the Jefferson yeah. Memorial. Um, yeah, out, out, out at the, the, out at the yeah. lake there. And so they do like the classic like meeting up on a park bench thing. And <laughs> Leo, <laughs> Leo is just gobsmacked that. <laughs> that it's about money. <laughs> whole, and he, I think he literally says it was so it was just about money? <laughs> he does. He, what he the does. Fuck, I just watched it. You're, you're the goddamn fucking chief of staff of the White House, Leo, and you're like 74 years old. You were not born yesterday. What the fuck? So, uh, um, basically, he asks him, like, what the details are, and just he asks him, and then just he asks him, how much money did you make? last year and the guy's like, <laughs> oh, he's it like was a- oh oh only a million dollars and he says no what about with bonuses <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like oh, 11 yeah. million dollars oh, oh. Yeah, yeah well and and then then it goes into and this is kind of jumping around but the last montage of the, about the last four minutes of the thing <laughs> fires mm-hmm. up an acoustic singer songwriter version of my country tis of thee over these oh, that's amber what that was. yeah over these amber toned images of leo just reflecting in his office oh of my like god. oh my god i i can't believe my defense con- my defense contractor ceo buddy took money to land contracts uh it's just so fucking <laughs> yeah. stupid yeah it's like, oh my god, my buddy who was CEO of the fucking military company for years and years and years and years is bad. <laughs> and it's a company that Leo himself worked for. So Yeah. Yeah, he was on the board of. Yeah. That's what helped Bartlett like not seem like a crazy lefty in the election is that he picked like an ex CEO as his VP. Oh yeah, you're supposedly. right. And right. I are we are we to understand that Leo was this naive the entire time he was operating yes. on that board. What he, I guarantee that that company would have no longer existed if he worked for 10 or 12 years on this board yeah. and not done if this he, sort of shit. If he acted like a fucking five year old, 
you know, guys, we're only going to do business the morally, ethically way. Boom, gets bankrupted yeah. by competitor or like two gets, years later. Or, like, gets voted out by the rest of the board. Yeah. Like, shut the yeah. fuck up, Leo. <laughs> yeah, much more likely, actually, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's the main plot of this episode. As I said, it takes up a ton of time, particularly with the flashbacks, just to sell the simple plot beat of these guys are war buddies and would do anything for each other, which we get in like two minutes. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it does not take long to express that plot point, but they really, really go over the top with it. And so in the tone of this, for some reason, like, okay, I get the flashbacks in the jungle and it's dark and we're going for like an aliens style thing. Mm And that was who I was thinking of initially was, uh, what's, uh, in in Alien, the guy who said "Game over, man." Um, oh yeah, Dallas. I, yeah, I can never remember Not, the actor's name. Um, um, Bill Paxton, rest in peace. Well, and so like we get all this, and then for some reason, the there are many other parts of the episode that are that fucking dark and clump. Yeah. Like, oh uh, yeah. I was wondering if like really? my monitor was broken while I was washing it because it's washed yeah. out really dark and washed out and everyone just looks like gray and kind of sickly overall like cj and abby when they're talking i was just like oh they both look ill <laughs> and you know and there are places where you can't see like the details around them as they do a walk and talk and it's just like yeah i, I feel like it's i have normally, tunnel vision normally this show has very nice even tv lighting uh, so yeah, it's very obvious and weird when it's like the one a few episodes ago where the sunlight was washing out everything. Yeah. When like they make, when they make weird lighting changes, it's so noticeable because the show should and does have normal EV, even TV lighting most of the time. And it's part of the, part of the aesthetic. We're in, we're in the white house. It's yeah. well lit. <laughs> <laughs> These people, and we want to avoid the appearance of smoke filled rooms at all costs. You know, right. everything is yeah, evenly like, lit via fluorescence. Yeah. The modern building is so fucking well lit. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't I don't think you could find a dark corner if you tried. <laughs> um yeah, so it's always so weird when they make stylistic choices like that. And speaking of weird camera stylistic choices, this is the only thing I'm going to mention about this, but CJ has a minor subplot with mm. an an ex keeps trying to call her and like reconnect and then so he finally visits and is talking to Carol, her assistant, and he's filmed in the fucking weirdest, Ugh. like, horror movie villain sort of way of, like, this creeping slow pan around the door where we only see, like, his hands at first and his legs, and we don't see his face for, like, a full minute, and this is the way you introduce, like, a horror movie villain, not, like, a friendly ex-boyfriend. And he's talking about memories of CJ, and so keep in mind that yeah, CJ... He's, show- he's showing photos. Well, and, yeah. so, and keep in mind, CJ is, you know, a... a- extremely high level influential and important person at this point and the way that he is written to like kind of reminisce about her with carol is mm-hmm. very suggestive of it being potentially bad yeah he's he's kind of sleazy about it where he's like Haha, check out this shot of her in a bikini wasn't she a looker and that combined with the camera work is it you're sitting there going uh uh, oh, oh no right. look out cj oh fuck right. but that 
but ironically, that's not the plot line at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. this, it's it, like if this was leading up to like, oh, this guy's like a fucking stalker or weirdo yeah, or something exactly. like that, and like, and that's a whole mini arc for CJ. That would be kind of cool, or at least it's something. But no, it, there's nothing. He's just like a normal ex, and yet the show has like decided to film and portray him this very weird way. Yeah, it is. It's it's physically disconcerting how it, that, that scene has, is just absolutely yeah. bizarre. It has no point to the rest of the show at all, and I, I just wanted to bring it up because we were discussing weird camera work, and holy, it's the weirdest shot I've seen on this, like, whole fucking show. And and I think it takes on an additional valence because it was mentioned in the last episode, so it is now something mm-hmm, that is mm-hmm. carrying mini, through. Yeah, it's a mini running plot at this point that he's been calling for, like, a couple few episodes now, well, and, and that she's... She's been putting it off and putting it off because she doesn't want to talk to him, which, yeah, adds another level of creepy subtext to him. Because if she was happy to talk to him, then we wouldn't have this vibe, you know? Yeah, so we're stuck here wondering, like, oh, what's going to happen when we finally figure out what this guy is? And it turns out it's, A, either really fucking creepy based on the camera work and the writing, or just nothing. Literally nothing. Literally Literally nothing. nothing. (laughs) I don't think they even, like, reconnect again or talk face-to-face. Like, it's just this thing with him and Carol. I'm pretty sure. I'll I'll eat my words next episode if if they end up going out. Maybe if I watch a couple more and something something. happens. But, but, uh... (laughs) But no. So uh, back to the war thing, because so in the modern timeline, we've got we've discussed the flashback enough in the modern timeline. This plane got shot down in North Korea and they're sending like SEAL Team, you know, four or whatever to retrieve it, uh, retrieve the pilot. And uh, so they they're you know, it's a lot of like situation room, hard decisions kind of thing. The slattery guy is literally there just to be like, well, maybe we should leave him behind so that Leo can go, no man left behind. <laughs> it, it is fucking military-esque way uh, to show what a good guy Leo is. Uh, and then so they get the guy out. Uh, which leads to, you know, the good old clapping in the war room thing, blast back and kudos all around, operation successful. But because, of course, this is the West Wing and they can't have a nice clean win, uh, one of the SEAL team operatives dies in the rescue attempt uh, from a... They didn't even say no, it's an equipment a, malfunction, but it's, he it's died the from dum- the jump. Yeah, it's the dumbest possible thing. Like he burned in on entry because I guess his like his mask... He's, he, they say, yeah, we think he, it's like, hypoxia. He yeah, he like asphyxiated on on jump because he didn't have his mask on, I guess, which seems weird for like high tier operatives yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Legit. Which is why it's who, weird like, because have, like we're giving you the best who have guys, the best to do equipment this. and the best soldiers <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah, like it's supposed to be that we got like the U.S.'s bestest best on this mission, you know, because we're not in the middle of a war or anything, and and this is yeah, this is the result. Again, I feel like this is always because you need to have it cost American lives with a capital A, capital L, so that, you know, hard men can make hard decisions. And there's a lot of that undercurrent here because obviously it's 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 a heavily military-focused episode. The senator mm-hmm. that is leading the inquiry into Leo's buddy essentially starts out, like, telling Josh to fuck off because he wasn't in right. the military. Right, yeah, jo- yeah, Josh is like, hey, you know, we, we need this project. And the guy is actually doing the correct thing of like, hey, there was something shady with the way mm-hmm. this contract was issued. He's doing the proper government job, by the way, of calling out corruption and, and doing 
correct oversight. Uh, and Josh, of course, wants him to cut it the fuck out. And yeah, he just like burns Josh with like, oh, I'm sorry, what branch did you serve in? Which shouldn't matter, but like is also an extremely effective like knockdown in this sort of arena. Yeah, and also uh, the center is played by Philip Baker Hall, who we've been sitting here for about five minutes trying to figure out like, yeah. what particularly which, we know him which, from. <laughs> which particular piece of media I most associate him with. But yeah, he's one of these guys who like shows up in everything. I feel like that we say that about almost every single West Wing guest star. They they seem to poach from the list of guys who are in everything. And I, I earnestly still don't have an answer of why I know Philip Baker yeah. Hall. <laughs> Me neither. It's, um, uh, he was like a dad or a grandpa in something I watched, like a kindly old, he's no, just, he was like, uh, it was like a Malcolm in the Middle episode. He's, he's just like extremely nice distinctive or looking. Like yeah. So, yeah. 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 One anyway. of those faces where, um, yeah, that's neither here nor there. Then him and him and Leo talk. And, you know, since Leo has served, you know, he, he can't pull that bullshit on Leo and Leo tries to, like, give him some sass about, like, hey, you know, my buddy needs this military contract to go through. What what are you doing? And he's just like, I'm, I'm literally doing my government oversight job. And Leo's like, well, I'll go testify. And he's like, you can't fucking do that. And, like, you know, they, basically the rest of the episode is spent trying to prevent Leo from, like, throwing his career away uh, for his corrupt buddy. Yes, and actually I really enjoy that about Philip Baker Hall's character is that out the gate, he seems to be like, because they make sure to be clear that he's a Republican and that's bad. Mm -hmm. And like, he owns mm -hmm. Josh and also that's bad. But like, he spends <laughs> the last part of the episode being like, Leo, we both served. Like, I'm trying to protect you here right. because I'm this is going to gonna happen. Beca because you're trying to take the bullet for your corrupt asshole friend. Mm -hmm. And that's, <laughs> and that's really stupid. You're going to throw your career away for a fucking shitty corrupt asshole. Yeah. So good job token senator character yes who we will never see again unfortunately <laughs> exactly. as it has it always is um hmm. that's yeah that's the most part leo's friend by the way is played by uh chuck's dad from billions if anyone watches billions uh i enjoy that show i think i've um, seen I've, I've seen that's the one with um john i mean his uh, paul, name's not jo paul, Gi paul giamatti Gia yes uh, yes giamatti i have seen and, a couple um, episodes yeah and uh, yeah, the uh, Chuck uh, Charles something is the other main guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he plays Paul Giamatti's dad uh, in that, um, and he's a fantastic character. He's like an over the top asshole, uh, scene chewing. Like I, I love him. He's very fun well, to watch, and he does a good job in this episode too because he's yes. he's the the picture of what you think of of uh, being like a CEO. <laughs> I'm like a a Lockhart, Lockheed, a Lockheed Martin, Martin yeah. CEO in particular. Yeah. Uh, and he's like super sympathetic or portrayed super sympathetic, like the whole way through, you know, it, as you said, it opens with Leo singing his praises at like some benefit dinner where he's winning humanitarian of the year and whatnot. But then in the final moments, like when he finally drops his true colors, like he gets really nasty yeah. with Leo and I, I, and I enjoy that a lot. And the actor does a good job with it. Like the other um, guy, the other guy that I think of in a role like this is John Slattery. Like, cause mm -hmm. he's, yeah. it's, it's exactly that image of like that. Yeah. The plenty like the, of white hair. The, the mad, the mad men, yeah, yeah, Howard yeah, yeah, Stark, yeah. you know, he's great at portraying that sort of like old, old money businessman mm -hmm. who just like has, you know, has so much money that he's riven to the level of like, fuck you. I'm above all you petty ants. 
Um, so yeah, props to the actor, and if this storyline was handled better, it could have really had some punch, but it's really ruined by, as we've said, the excessive flashback. And and the naivete, the spectacular yeah. naivete. And I get it because theoretically you are, as a propaganda engine, you are encouraging people with this show to take this perspective. You buy into it. And, but Jesus Christ, people have, I I hope people have never been this naive. Like at least since Korea. (laughs) It's about money. (laughs) Like you, he says it like a little boy. It's just like, it's, it's the little boy finding out Santa isn't real kind of thing. Like, oh, you mean CEOs can be corrupt for money reasons? And and a person that's my friend could could do bad things in other aspects of his life? Right, but he's my friend. He and must be good. I'm only friends I'm good. with good people. Right, because that's what makes me a good person. Yeah. Uh, there's, so there's so there's another fucking stupid subplot with Josh and his intern. Oh, right. Jesse Bradford's back. Yeah. Hooray. Yay. Uh, yeah, he's fun. They have a little subplot where they go to Bartlett about a thing where some senator's holding up a thing for child welfare funding because he, ra- he ran a study that determines that it's better when the child has a parent instead of just going straight to daycare. Uh, when they have at least one parent at home with them. And Josh fights back against this argument with, well, no, 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 we need more women in the workforce. Um, which basically is just like capitalism's argument of like, yeah, let's let's make sure that we have a huge giant labor supply so that the price of labor can be nice and cheap. Well, and, you know, subtle subversion of second wave feminism here now, too, where it's like, well, um, it's great that women can get jobs, but... You were you were nudged in that direction by, you know, rising cost of living, lowering salaries, mm-hmm. decreasing representation of unions, all of these things. And it completely ignores the fact that hmm, um, actually raising a child takes a shitload of labor regardless yes. of who's providing it. Like it just right. takes a shitload of work. Right, and it would probably be better overall if at least one parent could full time parent, yeah, full time to the child, yes, rather than forcing both parents to work for increasingly lower wages just to be able to provide for their child. As someone who is watching, I mean, my sister in law and her her husband are doing Mm -hmm. this in real time now. Mm -hmm. It's insane, you know, because the whole takes a village thing is completely right. Like, right. And and daycare is costs are just completely fucking through the roof now. And is basically another rent slash mortgage you have to pay. Uh, and it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So they have a, a tiff with like the technical aspects of this. And Jesse Bradford is very I don't Ryan Pierce is the name of the character. Yes. Um, character name. Yeah. Ba- basically, he gets this assignment and Donna's like, you're letting him do real work. And he's right. like, <laughs> she's. She- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has. He, you said he openly tells him like, "Well, you're gonna do all the work, and then I'm gonna go in there and take all the credit." But <laughs> Which, you could, but you could be there while I take the credit. Yes, you can watch me. <laughs> you could be physically. <laughs> you could be physically in the room as I take credit. Yes, and turns that out is your, that is your treat, intern. Turns out it backfires because the president goes, "Oh, um, this guy's giving me the real information." Hey, Ryan Pierce, what do you think? And Josh is like, "What?" <laughs> <Right. "Whoa." laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, which is great. Uh, I do love that when Donna is upset with Josh, Josh asks her to do something and says, please, uh, for the first time in forever. Uh, and he uses please so infrequently that it just stuns Donna. And she goes right back to work without complaining anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit of it to be asked to do something instead of to be told to do it. Yeah, instead of he's just normally ordering her around the first time he actually asks and say and says please it just like stuns her into quiet acceptance yeah (sighs) uh but yeah i think that mostly does it for this episode any final thoughts no uh let's take a brief break and we'll wrap up okay that's it for these two episodes i think um again if you can avoid them don't watch them yeah season five really fucking blows like it's kind of scary you miss literally nothing by skipping a good chunk of this season it's just spinning its wheels and that's why i look forward to when we do eventually get to the election stuff in season six and seven because if nothing else it's something new well, there was actually in the second episode, the one good thing that I liked is that Abby is back and right. she blows in and basically tells CJ that she's yeah. going to start practicing medicine again. Yeah, which rules. Um, and I think it has a very cool and cute follow up in a future episode. It might be the next mm. one with the uh, Sesame Street. Um, oh, yeah. Where she where she guests on Sesame Street and answers all these questions from like Elmo going like, but I thought you gave up your medical license. <laughs> and like, you know, like, so, yeah, I do love that. She yeah, she just rolls in and like settles that debate with herself by like, hey, by the way, CJ, I'm going to go volunteer at like the free clinic. Bye. Just, just imagining John Podoritz writing bits to put into Sesame Street characters' mouths to say to West Wing characters. Oh, man, that's a fucking uh, trip. That's what that is. Holy shit. Anyway, so she's back and she like, there's a brief moment yeah. where she comes in and says, well, uh, CJ, I gotta be honest. You know, I'm uh, the wife of the president and I voluntarily... Stopped practicing medicine, and I think I'm going to voluntarily start it up again because it looks good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She and she just takes control of it. Yeah, she's a, Stalker Channing's always a treat, and it's sad that she's been, like, effectively sort of written off the show at this point and only is, like, a, a rarely recurring guest star. Uh, but, yeah, that, that mostly does it. Thanks again for listening to the episode. Uh, if you have any comments, thoughts, feedback, you can sh- post them in either of our threads or you can shoot the show an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Which is always nice. And thanks for listening. We'll be back soon to discuss another couple of episodes of The West Wing here on The Worst Wing. Bye. Bye bye. All the money you ask for. 
But don't ask me to come on along So love me, love me, love me 